0: He will enable them to bear them as easily as Samson did the gates of Gaza. If they are resolved to keep them to themselves, they will find one day that the very grasshopper is a burden. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 5. There is a friend ever waiting to help us if we will only unbosom to him our sorrow. A friend who pitied the poor and sick and sorrowful when he was upon earth. A friend who knows the heart of a man, for he lived thirty-three years as a man amongst us. A friend who can weep with the weepers, for he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A friend who is able to help us, for there never was earthly pain he could not cure. That, friend, is Jesus Christ. The way to be happy is to be always opening our hearts to Him. Oh, that we were all like the poor Christian Negro who only answered when threatened and punished. I must tell the Lord. Jesus can make those happy who trust Him and call on Him, whatever be their outward condition. He can give them peace of heart in a prison, contentment in the midst of poverty, comfort in the midst of bereavements, joy on the brink of the grave. There is a mighty fullness in Him for all His believing members, a fullness that is ready to be poured out on everyone who will ask in prayer. Oh, that men would understand that happiness Does not depend on outward circumstances, but on the state of the heart. Prayer can lighten crosses for us, however heavy. It can bring down to our side one who will help us to bear them. Prayer can open a door for us when our way seems hedged up. It can bring down one who will say, "This is the way. Walk in it." Prayer can let in a ray of hope when all our earthly prospects seem darkened. It can bring down one who will say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Prayer can obtain relief for us when those we love most are taken away and the world feels empty. It can bring down one who can fill the gap in our hearts with himself and say to the waves within, Peace, be still. Oh, that men were not so like Hagar in the wilderness, blind to the well of living waters close beside them. Genesis twenty-one nineteen. I want the readers of this paper to be really happy Christians. I am certain I cannot urge on them a more important duty than prayer. And now, It is high time for me to bring this paper to an end. I trust I have brought before my readers things that will be seriously considered. I heartily pray, God, that this consideration may be blessed to their souls. One, let me speak a parting word to those who do not pray. I dare not suppose that all who read these pages will be praying people. If you are a prayerless person, suffer me to speak to you this day on God's behalf. Prayerless friend, I can only warn you, but I do warn you most solemnly. I warn you that you are in a position of fearful danger. If you die in your present state, you are a lost soul. You will only rise again to be eternally miserable. I warn you, That of all professing Christians, you are most utterly without excuse. There is not a single good reason that you can show for living without prayer. It is useless to say you know not how to pray. Prayer is the simplest act in all religion, it is simply speaking to God. It needs neither learning, nor wisdom, nor book knowledge to begin it. It needs nothing but heart and will. The weakest infant can cry when he is hungry. The poorest beggar can hold out his hand for an alms and does not wait to find fine words. The most ignorant man will find something to say to God if he has only a mind. It is useless to say you have no convenient place to pray in. Any man can find a place private enough if he is disposed. Our Lord prayed on a mountain, Peter on the housetop, Isaac in the field, Nathaniel under the fig tree, Jonah in the whale's belly. Any place may become a closet, an oratory and a battle, and... Be to us the presence of God. It is useless to say you have no time. There is plenty of time if men will only employ it. Time may be short, but time is always long enough for prayer. Daniel had all the affairs of the kingdom on his hands, and yet he prayed three times a day. David was ruler over a mighty nation, and yet he says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray. Psalm 55, 17 When time is really wanted, time can always be found. It is useless to say you cannot pray till you have faith and a new heart and that you must sit still and wait for them. This is to add sin to sin. It is bad enough to be unconverted and going to hell. It is even worse to say, I know it, but I will not cry for mercy. This is a kind of argument for which there is no warrant in Scripture. Call ye upon the Lord, saith Isaiah, while he is near. Isaiah 55, 6. Take with you words and come unto the Lord, says Hosea. Hosea, 14.1. Repent and pray, says Peter to Simon Magus. Acts 8.22. If you want faith and a new heart, go and cry to the Lord for them. The very attempt to pray has often been the quickening of a dead soul. Alas, there is no devil so dangerous as a dumb devil. O oh, prayerless man, who and what are you that you will not ask anything of God? Have you made a covenant with death and hell? Are you at peace with the worm and the fire? Have you no sense to be pardoned? Have you no fear of eternal torment? Have you no desire after heaven? O oh, that you would awake from your present folly. Oh, that you would consider your latter end. Oh, that you would arise and call upon God. Alas, there is a day coming when man shall pray loudly, Lord, Lord, open to us. But all is too late. When many shall cry to the rocks to fall on them and the hills to cover them, who would never cry to God. In all affection I warn you, Beware, lest this be the end of your soul. Salvation is very near you. Do not lose heaven for want of asking. Two, let me speak in the next place to those who have real desires for salvation, but know not what steps to take or where to begin. I cannot but hope that some readers may be in this state of mind, and if there be but one such, I must offer him encouragement and advice. In every journey there must be a first step. There must be a change from sitting still to moving forward. The journeyings of Israel from Egypt to Canaan were long and wearisome. Forty years passed away before they crossed Jordan, Yet there was someone who moved first when they marched from Ramesses to Succoth. When does a man really take his first step in coming out from sin and the world? He does it in the day when he first prays with his heart. In every building the first stone must be laid and the first blow must be struck. The ark was a hundred and twenty years in building, yet There was a day when Noah laid his axe to the first tree he cut down to form it. The temple of Solomon was a glorious building. But there was a day when the first huge stone was laid at the foot of Mount Moriah. When does the building of the Spirit really begin to appear in a man's heart? It begins, so far as we can judge, when he first pours out his heart to God in prayer. If any reader of this paper desires salvation and wants to know what to do, I advise him to go this very day to the Lord Jesus Christ in the first private place he can find and entreat him in prayer to save his soul. Tell him that you have heard that he receives sinners and has said, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. John 6.37 Tell him that you are a poor, vile sinner and that you come to him on the faith of his own invitation. Tell him you put yourself wholly and entirely in his hands that you feel vile and helpless and hopeless in yourself and that except he saves you, you have no hope to be saved at all. Beseech him, To deliver you from the guilt, the power, and the consequences of sin. Beseech Him to pardon you and wash you in His own blood. Beseech Him to give you a new heart and plant the Holy Spirit in your soul. Beseech Him to give you grace and faith and will and power to be His disciple and servant from this day forever. Yes. Go this very day and tell these things to the Lord Jesus Christ if you really are in earnest about your soul. Tell Him in your own way and your own words. If a doctor came to see you when sick, you would tell him where you felt pain? If your soul really feels its disease, you can surely find something to tell Christ? Doubt not his willingness to save you because you are a sinner. It is Christ's office to save sinners. He says himself, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Luke 5:32. Wait not because you feel unworthy. Wait for nothing. Wait for nobody. Waiting comes from the devil. Just as you are, go to Christ. The worse you are, the more need you have to apply to Him. You will never mend yourself by staying away. Fear not because your prayer is stammering, your words feeble and your language poor. Jesus can understand you. Just as a mother understands the first babblings of her infant, so does a blessed Savior understand sinners. He can read a sigh and see a meaning in a groan. Despair not, because you do not get an answer immediately. While you are speaking, Jesus is listening. If He delays an answer, it is only for wise reasons and to try if you are in earnest. Pray on, and the answer will surely come. Though it tarry, wait for it. It will surely come at last. If you have any desire to be saved, remember the advice I have given you this day. Act upon it honestly and heartily, and you shall be saved. 3. Let me speak, lastly, to those who do pray. I trust that some who read this paper know well what prayer is and have the spirit of adoption. To all such I offer a few words of brotherly counsel and exhortation. The incense offered in the tabernacle was ordered to be made in a particular way. Not every kind of incense would do. Let us remember this and be careful about the matter and manner of our prayers. If I know anything of a Christian's heart, you to whom I now speak are often sick of your own prayers. You never enter into the Apostle's words, When I would do good, evil is present with me. Romans 7.21 So thoroughly, as you sometimes do upon your knees. You can understand David's words. I hate vain thoughts. You can sympathize with that poor converted Hottentot who was overheard praying, Lord, deliver me from all my enemies and above all from that bad man myself. There are few children of God who do not often find the season of prayer a season of conflict. The devil has special wrath against us when he sees us on our knees. Yet I believe that prayers which cost us no trouble should be regarded with great suspicion. I believe we are very poor judges of the goodness of our prayers and that the prayer which pleases us least often pleases God most. Suffer me then as a companion in the Christian warfare to offer you a few words of exhortation. One thing at least we all feel we must pray. We cannot give it up. We must go on. Eh, I commend then to your attention the importance of reverence and humility in prayer. Let us never forget what we are and what a solemn thing it is to speak with God. Let us beware of rushing into His presence with carelessness and levity. Let us say to ourselves, I am on holy ground. This is no other than the gate of heaven. If I do not mean what I say, I am trifling with God. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Let us keep in mind the words of Solomon. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou on earth. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2. When Abraham spoke to God, he said, I am dust and ashes, when Job spoke, he said, I am vile. Genesis eighteen twenty seven, Job 40, verse 4. Let us do likewise. B, I commend to you in the next place the importance of praying spiritually. I mean by this that we should labor always to have the direct help of the Spirit in our prayers and beware, above all things, of formality. There is nothing so spiritual but that it may become a form, and this is especially true of private prayer. We may insensibly get into the habit of using the fittest possible words and offering the most scriptural petitions, and yet we may do it all by rote, without feeling it, and walk daily round an old beaten path like a horse in a bill. I desire to touch this point with caution and delicacy. I know that there are certain great things we daily want and that there is nothing necessarily formal in asking for those things in the same words. The world, the devil, and our hearts are daily the same of necessity. We must daily go over old ground. But this I say, we must be very careful on this point. If the skeleton and outline of our prayers be by habit almost a form, let us strive that the clothing and filling up of our prayers be as far as possible of the Spirit. As to praying out of a book, it is a habit. I cannot praise. If we can tell our doctors the state of our bodies without a book, we ought to be able to tell the state of our souls to God. I have no objection to a man using crutches when he is first recovering from a broken limb. It is better to use crutches than not to walk at all. But if I saw him all his life on crutches... I should not think it matter for congratulations. I should like to see him strong enough to throw his crutches away. See, I commend to you in the next place the importance of making prayer a regular business of life. I might say something of the value of regular times in the day for prayer. God is a God of order. The hours for morning and evening sacrifice in the Jewish temple were not fixed as they were without a meaning. Disorder is eminently one of the fruits of sin. But I would not bring any under bondage. This only I say that it is essential to your soul's health to make praying a part of the business of every 24 hours in your life. Just as you allot time to eating, sleeping, and business, so also allot time to prayer. Choose your own hours and seasons. At the very least, speak with God in the morning before you speak with the world. And speak with God at night after you have done with the world. But settle it down in your minds. that prayer is one of the great things of every day. Do not drive it into a corner. Do not give it the scraps and leavings and parings of your day. Whatever else you make a business of, make a business of prayer. D. I commend to you in the next place the importance of perseverance in prayer. Once having begun the habit, never give it up. Your heart will sometimes say, we have had family prayers. What mighty harm if we leave private prayer undone. Your body will sometimes say you are unwell or sleepy or weary. You need not pray. Your mind will sometimes say you have important business to attend to today. Cut short your prayers. Look on all such suggestions as coming direct from the devil. They are All as good as saying, neglect your soul. I do not maintain that prayers should always be of the same length. But I do say, let no excuse make you give up prayer. It is not for nothing that Paul said, continue in prayer and pray without ceasing. Colossians 4.2, 1 Thessalonians 5.7 He did not mean that men should be always on their knees, as an old sect called the Ukite supposed, but he did mean that our prayers should be like the continual burnt offering, a thing steadily persevered in every day, that it should be like seed time and harvest and summer and winter, a thing that should unceasingly come round at regular seasons, that it should be like the fire on the altar, not always consuming sacrifices but never completely going out. Never forget that you may tie together morning and evening devotions by an endless chain of short ejaculatory prayers throughout the day, even in company or business or in the very streets you may be silently sending up little winged messengers to God as Nehemiah did in the very presence of Artaxerxes. Nehemiah 2.4 And never think that time is wasted when it is given to God. A nation does not become poorer because it loses one year of working days in seven by keeping the Sabbath. A Christian never finds he is a loser in the long run by persevering in prayer? E. I commend to you in the next place the importance of earnestness in prayer. It is not necessary that a man should shout or scream or be very loud in order to prove that he is in earnest. But it is desirable that we should be hearty and fervent and warm and ask as if we were really interested in what we were doing. It is the effectual fervent prayer that availeth much and not the cold, sleepy, lazy, listless one. This is the lesson that is taught us by the expressions used in Scripture about prayer. It is called crying, knocking, wrestling, laboring, striving. This is the lesson taught us by Scripture examples. Jacob is one. He said to the angel at the new, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Genesis thirty two twenty six. Daniel is another. Hear how he pleaded with God. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. Oh, my God! Daniel 9.19 Our Lord Jesus Christ is another. It is written of Him. In the days of His flesh He offered up prayer and supplication with strong crying and tears. Hebrews 5.7 Alas, how unlike is this to many of our supplications. How tame and lukewarm they seem by comparison. How truly might God say to many of us, You do not really want what you pray for. Let us try to amend this fault. Let us knock loudly at the door of grace, like mercy in pilgrim's progress, as if we must perish unless heard. Let us settle it down in our minds, that cold prayers are a sacrifice without fire. Let us remember the story of Demosthenes, the great orator. When one came to him and wanted him to plead his cause, he heard him without attention, but he told his story without earnestness. The man saw this and cried out with anxiety that it was all true. Ah, said Demosthenes, I believe you now, I commend to you in the next place the importance of praying with faith. We should endeavor to believe that our prayers are always heard and that if we ask things according to God's will, we shall always be answered. This is the plain command of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatsoever things ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Mark eleven twenty four. Faith is to prayer what the feather is to the arrow. Without it, prayer will not hit the mark. We should cultivate the habit of pleading promises in our prayers. We should take with us some promise and say, Lord, here is Thine own word pledged. Do for us as Thou hast said. Second Samuel 7.25 This was the habit of Jacob and Moses and David. The 119th Psalm is full of things asked according to Thy word. Above all, we should cultivate the habit of expecting answers to our prayers. We should do like the merchant who sends his ships to sea. We should not be satisfied unless we see some return. Alas, there are few points on which Christians come short so much as this. The church at Jerusalem made prayer without ceasing for Peter in prison, but when the prayer was answered, they would hardly believe it. Acts 12.15 It is a solemn saying of old trails, there is no surer mark of trifling in prayer than when men are careless what they get by prayer. G, I commend to you in the next place the importance of boldness in prayer. There is an unseemly familiarity in some men's prayers which I cannot praise, but there is such a thing as a holy boldness which is exceedingly to be desired, I mean such boldness as that of Moses when he pleads with God not to destroy Israel, Wherefore says he should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains? Turn from thy fierce anger exodus thirty two twelve I mean Such boldness as that of Joshua when the children of Israel were defeated before Ai. What, says he, wilt thou do unto thy great name? Joshua 7.9 This is the boldness for which Luther was remarkable. One who heard him praying said, What a spirit! What a confidence was in his very expressions! With such a reverence he sued as one begging of God, and yet with such hope and assurance as if he spake with a loving father or friend. This is the boldness which distinguished Bruce, the great Scotch divine of the seventeenth century. His prayers were said to be like bulls shot up into heaven. Here also, I fear, we sadly come short. We do not sufficiently realize the believer's privileges. We do not plead as often as we might, Lord, are we not thine own people? Is it not for thy glory that we should be sanctified? Is it not for thine honor that thy gospel should increase? H. I commend to you, in the next place, the importance of fullness in prayer. I do not forget that our Lord warns us against the example of the Pharisees who, for pretense, made long prayers and commands us when we pray not to use vain repetitions. But I cannot forget, on the other hand, that he has given his own sanction to large and long devotions by continuing all night in prayer to God. At all events, we are not likely in this day to err on the side of praying too much. Might it not rather be feared that many believers in this generation pray too little? Is not the actual amount of time that many Christians give to prayer In the aggregate, very small. I am afraid these questions cannot be answered satisfactorily. I am afraid the private devotions of many are most painfully scanty and limited, just enough to prove they are alive and no more. They really seem to want little from God. They seem to have little to confess. Little to ask for and little to thank Him for. Alas, this is altogether wrong. Nothing is more common than to hear believers complaining that they do not get on. They tell us that they do not grow in grace as they could desire. Is it not rather to be suspected that many have quite as much grace as they ask for? Is it not the true account of many that they have little because they ask little? The cause of their weakness is to be found in their own stunted, dwarfish, clipped, contracted, hurried, little, narrow, diminutive prayers. They have not because they ask not. O reader, we are not straightened in Christ but in ourselves. The Lord says, Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But we are like the king of Israel who smote on the ground thrice and stayed when he ought to have smitten five or six times. Psalm 81.10, 2 Kings 13, 18 and 19. I I commend to you in the next place The importance of particularity in prayer. We ought not to be content with great general petitions. We ought to specify our wants before the throne of grace. It should not be enough to confess we are sinners. We should name the sins of which our conscience tells us we are most guilty. It should not be enough to ask for holiness. We should name the graces in which we feel most deficient. It should not be enough to tell the Lord we are in trouble. We should describe our trouble and all its peculiarities. This is what Jacob did when he feared his brother Esau. He tells God exactly what it is that he fears. Genesis 32:11. This is what Eliezer did. When he sought a wife for his master's son, he spreads before God precisely what he wants. Genesis 24.12 This is what Paul did when he had a thorn in the flesh. He besought the Lord. Second Corinthians 12.8 This is true faith and confidence. We should believe that nothing is too small to be named before God. What should we think of the patient who told his doctor he was ill but never went into particulars? What should we think of the wife who told her husband she was unhappy but did not specify the cause? What should we think of the child who told his father he was in trouble but nothing more? Let us never forget that Christ is the true bridegroom of the soul the true physician of the heart, the real Father of all His people. Let us show that we feel this by being unreserved in our communications with Him. Let us hide no secrets from Him. Let us tell Him all our hearts. J, I commend to you in the next place the importance of intercession in our prayers. We are all selfish by nature, and our selfishness is very apt to stick to us, even when we are converted. There is a tendency in us to think only of our own souls, our own spiritual conflict, our own progress in religion, and to forget others. Against this tendency, we have all need to watch and strive, and not least, in our prayers. We should study to be of a public spirit. We should stir ourselves up to name other names beside our own before the throne of grace. We should try to bear in our hearts the whole world, the heathen, the Jews, the Roman Catholics, the body of true believers, the professing Protestant churches, the country in which we live, the congregation, to which we belong, the household in which we sojourn, the friends and relations we are connected with. For each and all of these we should plead. This is the highest charity. He loves me best who loves me in his prayers. This is for our soul's health. It enlarges our sympathies and expands our hearts. This is for the benefit of the church. The wheels of all machinery for extending the gospel are oiled by prayer. They do as much for the Lord's cause who intercede like Moses on the mount as they do who fight like Joshua in the thick of the battle. This is to be like Christ. He bears the names of his people on his breast and shoulders as their high priest before the Father. Oh, the privilege of being like Jesus. This is to be a true helper to ministers. If I must needs choose a congregation, give me a people that praise. Kate, okay, I commend to you in the next place the importance of thankfulness in prayer. I know well that asking God is one thing and praising God is another. But I see so close a connection between prayer and praise in the Bible that I dare not call that true prayer in which thankfulness has no part. It is not for nothing that Paul says, By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your request be made known unto God. Philippians 4, six, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Colossians 4.2 It is of mercy that we are not in hell. It is of mercy that we have the hope of heaven. It is of mercy that we live in a land of spiritual light. It is of mercy that we have been called by the Spirit and not left to reap the fruit of our own ways, it is of mercy that we still live and have opportunities of glorifying God actively or passively. Surely these thoughts should crowd on our minds whenever we speak with God. Surely we should never open our lips in prayer without blessing God for that free grace by which we live and for that loving-kindness, which endureth forever. Never was there an eminent saint who was not full of thankfulness. St. Paul hardly ever writes an epistle without beginning with thankfulness. Men like Whitfield in the last century, and Bickersteth and Marsh and Haldane Stewart in our own time, were ever running over with thankfulness. Oh, if we would be bright and shining lights in our day, we must cherish a spirit of praise. And above all, let our prayers be thankful prayers. L. I commend to you in the last place the importance of watchfulness over your prayers. Prayer is that point of all others in religion at which you must be on your guard. Here it is that true religion begins. Here it flourishes and here it decays. Tell me what a man's prayers are and I will soon tell you the state of his soul. Prayer is the spiritual pulse. By this, the spiritual health may always be tested. Prayer is the spiritual weather glass. By this we may always know whether it is fair or foul with our hearts. Oh, let us keep an eye continually upon our private devotions. Here is the pith and marrow and backbone of our practical Christianity. Sermons and books and tracts and committee meetings and the company of good men are all good in their way but they will never make up for the neglect of private prayer. Mark well the places and society and companions that unhinge your hearts for communion with God and make your prayers drive heavily. There be on your guard. Observe narrowly what friends and what employments leave your soul in the most spiritual frame and most ready to speak with God. To these cleave and stick fast. If you will only take care of your prayers, I will engage that nothing shall go very wrong with your soul. I offer these points for private consideration. I do it in all humility. I know no one who needs to be reminded of them more than I do myself. But I believe them to be God's own truth. And I should, like myself and all I love, to feel them more. I want the times we live in to be praying times. I want the Christians of our day to be praying Christians. I want the church of our age to be a praying church. My heart's desire and prayer in sending forth this paper is to promote a spirit of prayerfulness. I want those who never prayed yet to arise and call upon God, and I want those who do pray to improve their prayers every year and to see that they are not getting slack and praying amiss. Chapter five Bible Reading Search the Scriptures John five thirty nine. How readest thou? Luke 10.26 Next to praying, there is nothing so important in practical religion as Bible reading. God has mercifully given us a book which is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.15